For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jara Bean, and we're going to talk about short form video strategy for businesses with Reels and TikTok. If you have been struggling to figure out what to do with Reels, and TikTok. Today's episode is for you. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Jara Bean. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jara Bean. If you don't know who Jara is, she is a short-form video strategist and speaker who helps service-based businesses and content creators grow their businesses with video. Her course is called the Video Editing Rodeo. Jara, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to have you on the show today. Jara and I are going to explore short-form video strategy. But before we go there, let's roll back the clock to your story, I would love to hear how'd you get into short form video? Start wherever you want to start. We're going to rewind back kind of a, a far ways here because the, the origins begin when I'm like a wee girl on my mom's lap. So my mom is in the world of video. She works on films, commercials, TV. So from a young age, I've been sitting on my mom's lap as she edits different perfume commercials and fashion shows and documentaries. And so video and film and very much editing have been in my blood since those early, early days. And as I grew up, anytime I would have a school project, like I remember in eighth grade having a biology project on the Artipithecus rhamnus. And rather than like create a poster or, you know, have a talking presentation, I would create these like feature length videos as my final project. And I think my teacher still shows that to this day. Granted, it was on VHS, so hopefully he's transferred that over by now. So video's been in my realm for quite some time. And I grew up in New York City. I graduated and went off to college in Los Angeles. I went to USC, went in undeclared, didn't know what I want to focus on, ended up being a fine art major with an emphasis in graphic design. So in that creative world, like I've always loved art, I've always expressed myself visually in some shape or form. And so I graduate from USC, I get a job as a freelance graphic designer working at a advertising company. And funny enough, as most of us do these days, we all have to wear 
multiple hats. So yes, I was doing graphic design, but I remember teaching myself After Effects because I had to learn these little animations for the different presentations that the the like the salesmen were doing, and I edited videos, little promo videos. So yes, it was graphic design, but I'm still kind of learning these skills. I'm still creating video projects. If I think to the next place that I worked at, it was a fashion startup. I edited their Kickstarter video that made. $40,000. So once again, this video creative thread is weaving in and out of my life. Well, we come up to 2015. I'm still a graphic designer, but I ended up working at a startup that wasn't the best, let's just say. They definitely kind of manipulated me a bit, didn't treat me so nicely. And I remember one day I'm standing in the mirror at a WeWork. And I'm exhausted. I'm probably getting paid less than minimum wage at this point with the weekends that I'm working and late hours. And I part my hair in the mirror and there's a bald spot on my head. I'd started to lose hair due to how stressed I was from this job. It was also during this time I realized I was struggling with social anxiety. I started to see a therapist for that. So I look back at that time as just challenging dealing with some stuff. And that set the scene for me making a positive change in my life. Now, at the time, did I go, I'm going to make a positive change in my life? Not necessarily, but hindsight's 2020. And there was definitely something pushing me to pivoting in some shape or form. Now, at the time, I had an Instagram account for my hand lettering. I used to draw letters and spend hours on it. And that was the first time I really tapped into the power of community on social media. This is like pre-2015. We're talking like 2013 or so. I remember connecting with different artists from all around the world and collaborating them on these drawing projects. So I had that in my back pocket when I decided to start a workout program in 2015. And I started that workout program. It's called or was called BBG, Bikini Body Guide by Kayla Itzinas. It was a total movement at the time. And I started an Instagram account, Workout Bean, to accompany my journey and to, to help hold me accountable. And one of the main reasons why I started that Instagram account was because I felt the power of community from my drawing account that I, I had already had for about a year or two. So I start this workout program, I start this Instagram account, and this was the positive change. This was the catalyst towards, it sounds so dramatic, but literally changing the rest of my life. Because what happened was, at the time, the word influencer didn't exist, so I can label it as at that now, but I became a fitness influencer without there even really being a word for it. I became an Adidas ambassador. I then transitioned to becoming a soul cycle instructor, which is spinning. So fitness just took over my life in the best way possible. In addition to social media, it was this beautiful coupling of these two forces that just brought me so much joy, community, creative expression, and so on. And that went on till about mid 2018. I had grown my Instagram account. I was pretty much working full time as an influencer, doing brand partnerships, but I decided to leave SoulCycle, pursue that full time. And that's when I entered kind of a little bit of an unknown era. I think SoulCycle and fitness had been so part of my identity for so long that to no longer have fitness was a bit of a shock to the system. And it was a 
year and a half of sort of rediscovering myself again and feeling quite lost, if I'm being totally honest. By the end of 2019, it's like, I got, I got to do something here. I, I need more. I feel pulled to do more than just create content. And I don't mean that in a condescending way because one can be a full-time content creator and be absolutely fulfilled. But I just wanted to add something else to my toolkit. Hired a business coach. And that was my official pivot into the world of social media coaching and education. So with my almost five or so years of experience in social media at that point, building my own brand, my own account, I then began to transfer those skills to my students. So I created a group coaching program and I ran that program for about seven years. And that is what also helped to launch my speaking career, uh, speaking on stages, keynotes, as well as working with some major brands like Estee Lauder and Mac, Bobby Brown, Adobe, AT&T. And, and that really brings us to current day where I am still very much a content creator. I love creating for Instagram, for TikTok video specifically. I also have the coaching aspect of my business with one-on-one as well as my programs. And that third pillar is the education and speaking on stages and virtually as well. So that's Jara in a bit of a nutshell for you. That's a really cool nutshell. So Jara, who are you creating content for? Like who is that ideal somebody who might be listening, who might want to check out you? Like who is your customer avatar, I guess? Here is the overlay. Okay, I'm going to explain something first because it's going to make sense when I give you my answer. Every single person who is using social media to support some sort of a goal, vision, business is a content creator. And that's what I think is a little bit different than a content creator and an influencer. An influencer might be really working towards those brand deals and partnerships, whereas a content creator is not necessarily working towards those partnerships, but they're using social media in a strategic way. So we are all content creators if we're showing up on social media for something specific, whether it's a mission, whether it's our business, et cetera. Now, if you are a business, let's say you're a service-based business or a product-based business, you are still a content creator, but we're just adding on that additional layer of your business. So everyone's a content creator. And then from that pool, we have people selling specific things, services, products, and that's where that business layer is added on. So in terms of my ideal person, I say content creators, absolutely. I really specialize in building personal brands, helping people show up authentically, finding their voice and their confidence, their secret sauce, as I call it. But in addition to that, I love helping, I would say more so service-based businesses because they are the face of the brand. And so that content creator aspect really translates really beautifully to their social media strategy. But we get to add on that layer of, ooh, how do we promote our business? How do I talk about my services? How do I get more clients, et cetera? So content creators, as well as service-based businesses. Excellent. So there are a lot of people listening right now that, first of all, were completely locked into your story, but might not be sold on the idea of creating short form video. So what do you want to say to those people? Because there are lots of people who might be comfortable writing or using photography or images, but maybe when it comes to short form video, they just haven't really understood why it's so critical. What do you want to say to those people? 
couple things I want to say to those people. First and foremost, I don't think that if, if you love photos and captions and carousels, I don't think that you have to completely abandon those. I'm never going to be the one to say you can only post video. That is your only option. However, in the current landscape of social media in 2023, we really are living in this video first world on Instagram, on TikTok, and of course, other platforms as well. And I think when people are resistant to video, a lot of times it comes with the overwhelm of video. Video has a lot more moving parts to it than just a photo and a caption. With video, sometimes we have to show up on camera. We have to show ourselves, use our voice. There's editing involved. That's a whole other layer of technical skills and things that you have to get used to. Then we have adding text and music. Like, whoa, we just went from a photo and a caption to listing off like five to 10 different things that we now have to understand and, and specialize in. So the first place that I want to start is that video can be simple. Video can be simple and effective. I know as we're scrolling through our Reels tab, and it's currently in the moment because Reels is having a, a moment where we got all this trendy editing and it's a little bit more aesthetic than TikTok is. And it can feel like, holy cow, in order for me to be successful, I need to do all these transitions. I need to have the high quality stuff. And sure, that is an option. If you are someone who has those technical skills, if you're someone who's really driven or has the time to pursue that type of visual aesthetic content, by all means. However, video can be as simple as setting up your camera right here as I'm talking on my desk, putting it on a little tripod or you know what, sometimes I don't even use a tripod. I lean it against a plant or a water bottle or the lamp and pressing record, letting that run as I'm typing, as I'm talking, Boom, we trim that down, let's say about 10 seconds, find a trending song, put text on top, and you know, we wanna make sure that we're still delivering value. So I'm not just saying, oh, just like put some text on it. We wanna think about what that text and that caption is, but that is how simple video can be. So I always like to start off with that to convey that video can really be this low barrier to entry if we see all sides of it and not just the super fancy stuff. The other thing that I love so much about video is the authenticity factor. When we show up on video and show ourselves, when we use our voice, there's this instant transfer of energy that you will not get in a million years from a photo and a caption. And I know it can be absolutely terrifying to show up in that way, to reveal yourself in that way. A lot of people have fear around using their voice and talking to camera and seeing themselves. But once again, social media has evolved and it's no longer this glossy highlight reel. I think people are really wanting to connect with the human, the realness, the genuine, the imperfections. They want to see themselves in you in some shape or form. So we don't need to show up perfectly, which once again, really lowers that barrier to entry for anyone who's feeling super resistant to it at the moment. Excellent. Okay. So we're going to talk about strategy, specifically with Reels and TikTok. There's a lot of people who are listening who don't know where to start, right? So let's start with like, what's the first thing we need to be thinking about before we 
start creating reels? I have a three-step process. So I'd love to walk you through that three-step process, but each step has kind of a lot going in it. So stop me at any point, but where I want to begin, of course, is with step one. So step one with where the heck do I begin with video is the content ideation. We want to come up with strategic and intentional ideas that make sense for our business or if you're not selling something that makes sense for your personal brand. Okay, we have that general direction, but then how do we come up with those ideas? You want to zero in on your content pillars. Some people say content buckets, and there's a lot of information out there about content pillars. And the best way to think about it is we are just sectioning off, we are grouping together different parts of you and your business. And that sectioning off then allows us to get really organized and then from those bigger pillars or buckets come up with more granular ideas. So it's kind of just following this flow. I've been teaching content pillars for years now and I have my proprietary mixture of pillars that I love to walk you through. And there are three types. So there's three types of pillars and those that's what helps us come up with individual pillars. First, we have the expertise pillars. The expertise pillars is all about providing value. We want to teach what you know, give advice, shed light on things, speak to your client or your customer's pain and pleasure points. It's really value-packed so that one, when someone consumes a piece of expertise content, they maybe want to save it or maybe they're sending it to a friend, come back to it later, but they're benefiting from that piece of content in some shape or form. When it comes to your expertise pillars, more often than not, you're going to want to have three of them. So can you figure out, ooh, out of all my expertise, out of all the things that I'm good at, of course, that pertains to your business, how can I categorize them into approximately three categories? Could it be mindset, nutrition, and movement for a personal trainer? Could it be messaging, personal branding, and converting followers to clients for a social media coach? Keep it simple. It's not groundbreaking by any means, but at most you'll have maybe four or five. At the absolute least two, three is usually the sweet spot. So that's our first type of content pillar, expertise. Quick question. So when we're coming up with these content pillars, it sounds like we should pick, at least under this expertise category, things that we're comfortable talking about that we feel like are our domain expertise. For example, if it was for me, I'd probably say entrepreneurship, content creation, and marketing. You know what I mean? Like those are the things that I tend to talk about a lot, right? And they're distinctly unique from each other, just like mindset, nutrition, and movement are unique from each other. And from them can spawn a whole bunch of ideas. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly. Hit the nail on the head. Beautiful summary of that. Okay, keep going. So our second type of pillar is secret sauce. And secret sauce is just my fun little word for essentially authenticity. If you are a content creator or if you are a service-based business, you are going to want to share some of you, share your personality, share that humanness that I mentioned earlier. Now, when someone says show up authentically as a tip or a piece of advice, it's really well-intentioned. And we all probably go, oh, yeah, show up authentically. Like, great. But then you go, wait a second. How do I do that? How do I? Yeah. yeah how do I? Like, how do I do that? That sounds great. But transforming the real life you into the digital you is really challenging. And it's something that took me a very long time to do 
myself and then to actually translate that and teach that as a whole other level. So what I've done is taken this framework for secret sauce and divided it into four pillars. So there are four secret sauce pillars. We have foundational secret sauce. This focuses more on your past than your present. So we want to think of the challenges that you've overcome, achievements, pivots, any of the big stories and moments that have brought you to where you are today. That's foundational. Next, we have personal secret sauce. And this is very much focused on the opposite. It's the present moment. It's what are your hobbies? What do you like to do on the weekend? Who's the human outside of the business? What are the things that are making up your life in the moment right here, right now? Then we have professional secret sauce. Professional, as it sounds, focuses more on the professional side of you. So who is the entrepreneur? What's the founder story? What are your values as a business or an entrepreneur? How do you do things differently? Really focusing, once again, on the human, but very much through the lens of your business. Lastly, and perhaps my personal favorite, we have lighthearted secret sauce. And this is, as it sounds, this is the more silly, goofy, random uh, parts of you that are just usually the most fun to share via stories. And that's the secret sauce framework, foundational, personal, professional, lighthearted. The really cool thing about this framework is that you do not have to show up or use all four pillars. You can pick and choose. And this provides nuance to the tip of show up authentically and the resistance that people usually feel towards it, either not knowing how to do it or thinking, oh gosh, well, in order to show up authentically, do I have to share everything? I don't want to share everything. You don't have to share everything. You can choose. So maybe you are really heading in the buckets of foundational and professional, but personal and lighthearted, either you don't want to do or does not make sense for your business now or at this time, maybe you reconsider in the future. So not only does it make this concept of showing up authentically more tangible, but it gives you options as well, allowing you to create boundaries if you need them when it comes to sharing you and your life online. This is a fascinating one and I really love and I'm grateful that you're putting these categories together because it's helping me, not just with short form video, but with any video, right? Um, this is even the written word. I mean, this stuff is applicable to almost any kind of content, but the idea of like to show up authentically for a lot of people, they think it means to show every scar and every challenge they've ever faced in their life. And I love how it could just be stories about experiences that you've had in the past and it could be, if you are lighthearted, showing some of those <laughs> mistakes you made, right? And when you're recording, instead of editing them out, is that kind of what I'm hearing you say, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. And, and what I love about Secret Sauce is that, yes, we have these categories, but it's also up to you for interpretation. So you might consider sharing the outtakes as lighthearted, but I might consider that professional because, you know, podcast, business, this is a professional moment. and it just to me gives dimension to secret sauce and it's all open up for interpretation and it's whatever makes sense for you. And those are starting categories, but in terms of labels, like we can move things around however it makes sense in your brain, but what you described sharing those outtakes, perfect example of a type of secret sauce. Yes. Okay. So we've got content pillar. Number one is expertise. Content number two is secret sauce. And we just talked about a bunch of little sub pillars. What's the next I think you had a third one, right? Yes. Our third type of pillar 
is the business pillar. And the beautiful thing about having these three types of pillars, expertise, secret sauce, and business, is that they all work symbiotically. So if you imagine like three circles representing each type of pillar overlapping, and we have the middle section where all three touch, that is your content strategy. And when you share value, share your expertise, when you share the humanness, it's going to make it that much easier to dive into the business pillar. A lot of people have fear around selling or talking about what they do or feeling pushy. And that's a whole other subject, but it should feel a lot better when you incorporate the other two types of pillars to begin with. Now, within the business pillar, we're going to subdivide this as well, just as we did expertise as well as secret sauce. But this time we're going to subdivide it into two different sub pillars. We have hard selling and we have soft selling. And I love creating this distinction because oftentimes people equate hard selling to the only type of selling. They think it's buy this, sign up now. It's the selling that you do during a launch or promotion. And yes, that is absolutely selling, but that's hard selling. And there's nothing bad about it. We got to do it when we have a time specific thing or if we're wanting to make a sale or make money. So it's absolutely part of the business pillar. But where the nuance comes in is the soft selling uh, pillar, because this is where we can be more nuanced and a little bit subtle about presenting our business, about talking and sharing about what we do or what we sell. So let me give you some examples. When it comes to soft selling, you want to ask yourself, how can I creatively feature what I do? Or how can I share the value of what I do? So when it comes to creatively featuring, if you create a day in the life vlog where you're walking your dog, drinking coffee, hanging out with a friend, but you're also recording a podcast, responding to speaking clients, doing a coaching call, and you, you interweave all those together in one video, it's a soft sell because you're not asking anyone to do anything, but you're saying, hey, just so you know, this is something I do. This is part of my business. If we think about sharing the value of what you do, that's when things like testimonials come in, reviews, sharing client transformations, sharing press features. Essentially, hard selling is when you're talking on the business. Like this is on the business content versus soft selling, it's around. It's like the subjects that surround your business and that also incorporate other parts of your life. And soft selling is something you can do all the time versus hard selling is something you want to do part of the time. So that makes up our, our business pillar and completes the three types of pillars that help us with our content ideation in terms of coming up with specific and strategic content ideas that are born out of those those pillars. I want to reinforce the value proposition of soft selling. If you tell a story and it's got a moral and a value proposition to it, and you just plant in the middle of the story, I was talking to a client and this happened. Believe it or not, what you're doing is you're soft selling that you take clients, right? And nobody even notices it, but subliminally they're like, oh, Jera takes clients. Oh, I didn't even know that. Right. I mean, that's an example of soft selling. It can be the most subtle little thing. Like I posted a long form piece of content recently on all the social channels that take long form. And I, I shared a story and right in the middle of it, I said, I was talking to someone on my team about 
launching social media marketing world. And, you know, it was just embedded right in the middle of a long story about why I should create more content, but it was carefully crafted to be in there to be like, oh yeah, social media marketing world. I should check that out. Right. But it was subtle. And if you do that over and over again, and then people love your content, all of a sudden they're going to go check you out or they're going to check out your product. Right. Super powerful. Hit the nail on the head. Yes. And, and it can be that simple. It can be that simple, just dropping in on a podcast and having that line or mentioning it in your stories or a sentence in a caption. And, and that's how subtle and sort of dainty soft selling can be, which means once again, we can incorporate it almost daily into our social media content. Okay. So we spent a really lot of valuable time specifically talking about coming up with creative ideas for content, specifically for short form videos. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Now you said this is a three-step process and there's lots of little pillars and sub pillars and all that fun stuff, but there's this, this is the first step. So what's the next step? Good thing. That's definitely the most complicated kind of dense step. So whew, we got step one done. But it's the most fun too, I think, because this is like, you can get creative here, right? Exactly. So we got the hardest work done, I think at this point. And step two, I think out of all three steps is definitely the easiest. And when I explain it, I think most people listening are going to go, oh, I know this already. And Jara's just kind of putting a name to it. So with step one, we came up with content ideas. But when it comes to social media, the idea isn't the finished product. We have to turn that idea into a piece of content. And I'm going to focus specifically on video. So how do we take an idea and turn it into a video? Well, if you are able to label the four most common video formats, it then starts to bridge the gap. So the four most common video formats for Reels and TikTok is either talking to camera, voiceover, a text overlay, or a trend. And these are pretty much exactly as they sound. If you do a talking to camera video, you are talking into the camera and delivering that message. If you're doing a voiceover, you're using B-roll, which is just different shots depending on the subject matter, and you're adding in your voice as a layer. If you do a text overlay, we have what I described earlier, like a shot of me typing at my desk, I plop some text on top and that text conveys the message of that content idea. And then when it comes to trends, well, that opens up a whole world because we have trending content on both Reels and TikTok. That can be a lip dub, that can be a transition, that can be pointing to words on screen. So that is a format that has a lot of kind of sub formats within that. But once we have that idea, we can go, okay, well, how do I bring it to life? Let me identify those four formats. What makes sense? Also, what do I have time for today? Because doing a text overlay will like, likely be a lot quicker than talking to camera, for example. So that's the second step, identifying those four formats and choosing what your content idea is going to be within those four formats. Okay, I've got a couple of questions. When we are recording direct to camera, I just recently got this cool little DJI mic thing. I don't know if you've ever seen these things, but I'm showing these for the listening audience. Nice. They're these little tiny microphones that you can attach to your iPhone and then you can put a lapel on it and it's really good audio, right? And then you have the audio separate if you wanted to, all that fun stuff. It's it's more relevant for people that are doing long form video or and want to maybe make podcasts out of it. But do you find that you're just, talking to your phone and you don't even really worry about the audio? A hundred percent. I'm pretty 
low tech. And this is coming from someone who has a video background. Like I could be high tech. I have a fancy camera. I have lighting. But because short form video content is so casual in its nature for the most part, and because simple, not super high tech content can be impactful and effective, like I got a business to run. So even though I have the ability to create that fancy content and use high end equipment, I don't feel like I need to. So yes, most of the time when I'm talking, or actually all of the time when I'm talking to camera, I'm setting my phone up. And as I mentioned earlier, oftentimes I'm not even getting my tripod out. I'm that lazy. I'll put it up on the windowsill over there and kind of, you know, go up on my toes a little bit or bend down if I need to and call it a day for the majority of my content. Okay. So I found that sometimes if you hold your phone in your hand the wrong way, you could be covering up the mic because I think the mic is on the bottom of the phone, isn't it? Or have you not found that to be the case? Ooh, I haven't come into that issue. I do think it is on the bottom though. So, okay, let's talk about framing because I know you have that video background. So like when we're actually recording ourselves, are we talking like arm length away typically? And how do we need to even worry about where we are in the frame? Because anybody who has a video background, as you know, there's rules of thirds and all this kind of stuff. Should we be really close up? Does it look a little different on on one iPhone versus an Android? Do you understand what I'm asking as far as like? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm sure people will have different opinions on this. So I don't think my my opinion is is necessarily my way or the highway. But how I approach it, usually I, as a creator of content, as well as a consumer of content, if I'm looking at someone and we'll just keep it to talking to camera for now, I do like for there to be a bit of a, a little bit of a distance. I think sometimes when it's just your face filling the whole frame, it's kind of confronting and a little bit suffocating visually. So having a little bit of space from the camera where I can see the top of your head. Chest up or something or belly button up or something. Yeah, let, let's say at least kind of chest up, belly button up, I think is nice as well because then we can kind of see how you gesture and how you move as well. Right. The other important thing, it's not just the distance from the camera, but I call it headroom. How much space is above your head and the top of the video frame? Oftentimes, some will, will have a way too much headroom where you are in the lower half of the frame and then half of the frame, the rest is headroom. Then you are you need to like lower your tripod or, you know, kind of stand up on your tippy toes a little bit. Or sometimes the head will be right at the top and then we want to back up a little bit. So that's also something to consider is not just the distance, but your headroom. And these are these are more polishing pieces. So I don't want to scare anyone away who's super beginner and, and worry them too much about this. But when you kind of get the general hang of things, then you can start to worry or just think and consider about these other additional visual considerations. Let's talk about voiceover for a little bit. I think people understand what, I mean, I'm sorry, what uh, text overlay, because I think people understand voiceover presumably would be you're recording with the better camera on the other side of your phone and then you're just going to be recording your audio and then somehow sewing the whole thing together that's really what you mean by voiceover am i right you could if you're a podcaster you could use a podcasting rig to record the darn thing right and then just put a bunch of video to it is that as simple as it is that's as simple as it is and i think the best example of that is a day in the life video where you're waking up, walking the dog, work, working out, grabbing coffee, whatever. I'm just talking about the generic things, but you are guiding us through that by adding in your voice. And you're not, you're not like, I'm waking up. You, you just get the shot and then you add in that voiceover track later on as you're in editing mode. So let's talk about text overlay. Like what exactly, how is that different than what we just talked about with these two different first formats? 
text overlay, the way that I think about it, is separate from talking to camera and voiceover because text overlay does not use your voice. Now, well, caveat, when you are talking to camera and when you are doing voiceover, I do recommend adding text because there's a whole strategic way to use text. But when I specifically say format number three of text overlay, that is specific to video, text, no voice. And it's a great option for someone who needs to create quickly. It's also a great stepping stone for someone who is really terrified to use their voice and maybe they're not ready yet and we got to work our way up there. So it's just a great option for both speed as well as sort of comfort level as well. Okay. So just so I'm clear, you film either yourself or something else. Maybe it's the way that the sausage is being made in the factory or whatever. Yep, right? Yep. And then maybe you just put some words up there and add a music track and that's it. And that's it. But the, the, the words of this are very important because every single piece of content has some sort of message. If we go back to step one, something is either sharing your expertise, something is sharing about you as a human, or something is sharing about your business. So with text overlay, actually, let me talk about voiceover and talking to camera, the way that the main message, the main point is delivered, for the most part, is going to be via your voice. In text overlay, how is the main message delivered? There's no voice. So it has to be via the text that you put on screen. So we don't want to just like, when I say plop on text, I'm not being flippant about it, but I do mean, yeah, we're just putting some text on there. But that text is what delivers the main message of the content idea. Now, the caption can complement that. So it doesn't have to be the entire idea, but we want at least part of that main message in the text that you overlay. Okay, I believe this is my last question on this particular step, which is talking about all these different formats, duration of the actual final product. My understanding is that, is it true you can do, do three minutes on TikTok now? And 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay, well, and Reels is what, 60 seconds now? I, I, or is it longer? I think we're at 90. I think we're at 90. Okay, so how long should we make these videos is really where I'm going with this. I got a couple, I got a couple of thoughts about this. So my initial thought is that I don't want to prescribe a specific length because sometimes we need all, let's say 60 seconds at most, just to keep things simple, to deliver that message or to really round out that story. So I never wanna say, oh, only make short videos. However, we do have to think about retention, which is how long someone's watching your video for and average watch time. So if you are in the mode of creating around 60 second long videos all the time and your views are quite low, I invite you to pull up your analytics both on TikTok and Instagram and look at that retention or average watch time. And you might be really surprised to see, wow, I'm making these 60 second long videos and people are watching three to five seconds. And that's why the views are so low. It's telling Instagram or it's telling TikTok, ah, this is an interesting, I'm gonna just, you know, I'm gonna swipe away and therefore it's not gonna push it out to more people. So that's where we start to get a little bit tricky is that the lower, the, the shorter a video is, the higher the chance is for retention because it's easier to retain someone for 10 seconds than it is 60 seconds. But then we get into the nuanced conversation of, well, sometimes we need, we truly do need that fully, that full six to 60 seconds. And sometimes those videos can absolutely perform well. One thing I will add to this is that when I do content audits these days, I would say pretty much every single time, no matter the business, no matter the type of person, people are jamming 
way too much information into every single post. And so when you create, regardless of the format, I want you to ask yourself, is this a bite-sized piece of content? Is this actionable as well? If you are talking about like a full customer journey, like this is what a customer journey is and you're listing off all the things, that's gonna go over people's heads because it's too broad and it's just way, way too much. Versus if you took that one big idea and then squeezed it like a lemon to make a nice little fresh juice of content lemonade and got really specific with all the ideas that make up a customer journey, for example, can you describe what an opt-in is? How do you grow your email list? All, all these different things. These ideas are much more tangible and potentially actionable as well. So you might be making a really awesome 60-second video that covers a broad topic, but it's not actually going to perform well on social media because people are craving more of those bite-sized, actionable pieces of content. Outstanding. Okay, the third step in your process is... Drum roll, please. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Thank you for that. Step number three is the optimization. And there's a couple things within optimization. And it's not necessarily a finite list. I find myself kind of rolling through the top three sometimes. And sometimes those top three things change depending on what I'm seeing or perhaps depending on what the audience needs. When it comes to optimization, we want to think, how are we polishing off this piece of content to essentially perform better. So a really great one that I think most people are aware of these days is the hook. I consider the hook the first about three seconds of your video. And usually when I say the hook, I'm thinking about what is being said verbally. However, we also can think about what's being shown visually because we have about three seconds to capture someone's attention, actually less, I think. And what are we showing? What are we saying in order to entice them to keep watching? So a common mistake that I see with hooks is people pausing for about one full second, which I know sounds short, but that's an eternity in short form video content land, pausing before anything comes out of their mouth. Or they start with, Hey everyone, how's it going today? Today I'm gonna to show you X, Y, Z. When you have an intro that says, hey everyone, how's it going? That's really nice, maybe for stories, but for our reels and TikTok, I want you to be brutal and nix that out and just start with exactly what you're gonna say. If you wanna start optimizing your hooks, then we can think of, ooh, what are things that we can say beyond just, here's what I'm gonna show you today, such as, here are the three things that are gonna change what you think about XYZ subject, or how comes no one's talking about XYZ subject? I wanna dive into that. There's a million hooks, you can Google, Google them, but it's essentially how am I enticing someone to keep watching? Do you recommend recording the hooks after you've kind of finished up your content and then dialing that hook in? Cause you can always add the hook in editing, right? Can't you? Absolutely, absolutely. So if you're not someone who, has hooks come to them naturally as you are recording or perhaps as you're writing, if you write out a script or bullet point, you can let the content flow a little bit and then maybe you watch the content, maybe you edit down the content first. And then as long as you know, you're in the same outfit, the same lighting, I mean, you could change up your outfit and then we have a little bit of a pattern interrupt, but we're most likely recording around the same time and space, you can just add that in later on if the hook comes to you during your process. Absolutely. Excellent. Okay. What else is part of this process of refinement, if you will? 
Another one is pattern interrupting. And pattern interrupting is a technique in editing where you are making different cuts to your video, to your clips in order to keep people engaged. So if I record a talking to camera video about how to grow your community and it's 60 seconds long and I just talk to the camera for 60 seconds and I just trim off the end in the beginning so there's no dead space and upload that, that video has zero pattern interrupts. However, if I take that 60 seconds and I cut out any ums, I cut out any ahs, I essentially condense time a little bit and there's clear cuts and I'm creating clips in my timeline, that's the most basic form of a pattern interrupt. It's jumping from one clip to the next to hold visual attention. We can get a little bit more exciting with our pattern interrupts if it makes sense for the content and for your business where maybe I'm talking to you first in front of a white wall and then I change to talk to you in front of a blue wall. Or maybe I'm recording super high and then I change the angle and I'm super low or I change my hair. Like that's a much more dramatic pattern interrupt in order to keep people engaged. So that's really important in general, but I think when we're creating talking to camera videos, very essential to hold people's attention with those pattern interrupts. What do you want to say about captions and or cover photos? When it comes to captions, people tend to struggle a little bit with what to write when they've created this reel. It's like, wait, I have the reel. Do I need to say anything in the caption? And I always like to think about it this way. Your video, your reel will either contain the full message, the full content idea, and the caption can just be, you know, a cute little fluffy one or two liner, or the video will contain part of the idea and then entice people to then go to the caption. Mm. So that's a great balance. Of course, you can go the route of the reel has the full idea, the full message, and then you reiterate that in the caption if you just want to hit people with both the video and the written. So there's nothing wrong with that. But in order to work smarter and not harder and not have to write a whole caption out if you don't want to, either contain the whole message in the reel with a you know little complimentary caption or entice people to learn the rest no more in the caption. That's how I usually think about it. Cover photos, incredibly important because you want to think about those as the hook when someone lands on your Instagram profile or your TikTok page. If someone comes across your reel and they go, oh, this is interesting. Let me check out Jarrah's page. And then they arrive and every single cover photo is just an image. They have absolutely no idea what each piece of content is about. And we're in this stage where it's quick. I need to consume. I need to know fast. And if they don't know, they're going to swipe away and I've lost that potential community member, client, et cetera. If you have a text overlay, let's just say not on every, it doesn't have to be everyone, but most of your cover photos that either acts as a headline or you can really think about it as a hook into that piece of content, it's going to entice people to click and to consume that content. So cover photos play an incredibly important role, I think, in new followers and, and building your community. Do you recommend that they, uh, we sample a piece of the actual video or do you typically take separate pictures and just create something unique like a lot of YouTubers tend to do? I go both ways. So I have really changed from my content creator days when I was like full content creator mode before 2020 when I really wanted my feed to be beautiful. And now I've like thrown that out the window and I don't, I don't really care anymore. It's, I mean, invite anyone to take a look at my feed now versus like pre 2020 days, very, very different energy and feel. 
But sometimes I want a little pop of color or I want, you know, I've had all these screenshots of me mid-sentence with my mouth open and text overlay. And I'm like, let me just grab one of my nice photos and kind of sprinkle that into my feed. So I think you can go one of both ways, either grabbing that screenshot and adding that text on top and it's sort of a low tech, fast, easy way to create your cover photos. Or you can also go the route of grabbing a different photo if you so choose. And you can do both like I do as well. Let's talk about your preferred apps for doing editing. So as I mentioned, I have my background in my early days sitting on my mom's lap and she's editing on professional software. And that's how I learned to edit. I think originally on Final Cut Pro, I learned Premiere Pro. I'm back on Final Cut Pro now. So that those are my editing origins. However, when it comes to short form video content, I do everything on my phone. And my app of choice these days is CapCut. That is what I edit most of my, I'd say 90% of my videos on. Sometimes when I'm doing like a fancy transition where I need keyframes and layer masks, which is very advanced, most people do not ever need to know that or do that, then I will use Video Leap, which has those capabilities as well. But most of the time I'm on CapCut. Did you say Video Bean? Is that what you said? No, Video Bean. I like that though, but I'll, well, I'll put that somewhere. I've never used it. You should never multitask like I'm trying to do. <laughs> what was that last uh, CapCut and what was the other one? Oh, oh you, it sounds close. Video Leap. L-E-A-P. It's a big leap for me to go from video leap to video bean, but we'll take it and we'll keep this in here because hey, we're being authentic. Kind of, kind of similar. We're being authentic here. Jara, this has been phenomenal. If people want to discover more about you, where do you want to send them? You can find me, of course, on social media, Jara Bean, but there's a dot in there. So it's Jara.Bean on both Instagram and TikTok. It's Jara Bean, just straight through.com for my website. And I have my new course launching soon, my video editing course. It's called the Video Editing Rodeo. And if you want access to that wait list, if you want some freebies as well, I have a special link for everyone listening today. That's jarabean.com slash SME. And you can access those freebies and get that info for the video editing waitlist as well. Jarabean, thank you so much for sharing all your insights with us today. We're so much better because of it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 579. If you're new to this show, would you be sure to follow us? If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. This brings us to the end. If you had another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast, I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.